Imagine That Studios, in association with Ace Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 4, the official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. It certainly looks like Miss Shillingworth and Catherine have kept the archives in good order while we were away in the Americas. I told you, Wellington, perfectly safe. <laughs> I wonder if anything is perfectly safe, considering now that- Stop! Wellington! Not everyone has read the fourth novel. No spoiling the surprise. What? You mean we can't tell them about no. when- No! Or when the maestro- Most definitely not! What about when you and I... I like you, Wellington, but if you utter one more syllable, it may be your last. What about Phantom Protocol? Yes. Yes, I think we can get away with talking about that. Spiritus Sanctus by Alison Grauer Spring, 1896 Rome, Italy Emily Cassidy Tuttle paused to adjust the small, dark spectacles perched on her nose as she surveyed the piazza before her. The tinted lenses of the occhiali da sole were all the rage in Italy of late. She'd noticed them being worn by all sorts of men and women as she passed through the countryside by train. Upon arriving in Rome early that morning, she had promptly purchased a pair for herself and quickly fell in love with their design. They kept her from squinting in the bright sunlight which penetrated every corner of the city, and likewise hid her face somewhat from others' eyes, disguising where her gaze was aimed. A breeze danced down over the rooftops into the square, startling the tourists and ruffling the pigeons. Women and men alike reached to steady their hats as the gust of wind soared past, and birds took to the air again as though suddenly reminded of their natural proclivity for flight. The Piazza del San Pietro was a vast oasis of foreigners and locals alike, a mixed salad of transcontinental travelers on tours, and Roman residents looking for ways to make a few lira off gawking visitors. There were flower sellers, newspaper boys, and the occasional vendors of beverages with their carts. Mostly, however, the eyes were drawn to the occasional priests and nuns who glided through the piazza as gracefully as swans among pigeons. There were perhaps a dozen or more languages being spoken here at any given moment, she'd wager. Pickpockets slipped like minnows past visitors whose eyes were raised toward the obelisk and the glorious basilica before and above them. Roma è veramente bello, Emily mused aloud, then corrected herself. Bella, bella. She sighed. Masculine and feminine words were the curse of the romance languages, in her opinion. Though she was no stranger to Italy, this was Emily's first time in Rome. 
She had been to Venice once before on an errand similar to this one, but it had been a brief trip and the canals had been terribly smelly from the summer heat. Unlike Venice in July, Emily found that Rome in April was brisk and breezy, warm and pleasant all around. She felt perfectly at ease, comfortable in a light tweed suit and spring chapeau. Much of her job entailed playing the tourist, and Emily delighted in dressing the part. It was one of the primary reasons why she'd signed on with the ministry. After all, see the world on the government's tab? Yes, please. Emily checked the face of a small silver pocket watch on a chain at her hip. Sunset was in 23 minutes, and already the piazza was filled with warm gold and rosy light. The bustling march of the afternoon was waning into a calmer, more leisurely stroll. The hours for sightseeing were nearly past, and the time for Emily to meet her local contact was drawing near. Her heart skipped a beat as she thought back to the assignment notice she'd received while in Tunis last week. Darling, ramble on, my Emily. Arrive Tuesday. Your cousin will meet you at the station to present you with your birthday gift. Afterward, your aunt will escort you home again. Do not be late. We'll see you at the manor promptly upon your return. Have a care when you travel. Your cousin got you something rather fragile. Watch out for splinters. I know how delicate your hands are. Warmest love, Mother. The letter from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Home Office was brief, but Agent Tuttle was used to that. Any time the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences sent her a note from mother or father, it meant business. Ramble on My Emily was an acronym for the assignment's location, Rome. If she was being sent to Rome of all places, it could only mean there was something really worth notice. Cousin meant local contact, gift meant the artifact that was to be received, not purchased, and aunt meant a local ministry-sanctioned escort. The manor was actually Miggins Antiquities in London, the front for their headquarters. Emily moved casually through the vast round piazza toward the far entrance at the road, putting the glimmering basilica behind her. She held her guidebook in one hand, skimming the paragraphs about Vatican City and the vast centuries of ecclesiastical conflict in Europe. A small traveling purse bumped at her hip, the strap crossing her body to the opposite shoulder in a rather fashion-forward style allowing her hands to remain free and capable of other activities rather than constantly wrestling with a reticule. Splinters, Emily mused for the thousandth time that day. The odd phrasing in the note had struck her as unusual. What on earth could Dr. Sound mean by splinters? Shrapnel, perhaps, from an explosion? The artifact may prove to be combustible in some way, like the Tsar's egg in Minsk, or the Olympia doll in Konigsberg. Her love of travel and no-nonsense attitude made Emily one of the top agents when it came to the Ministry's sordid affairs. Sordid, of course, standing for the Supernatural Object Retrieval Division, International and Domestic. She was skilled in several languages, being well-versed in global mythology and history, and had a peculiar but natural affinity for slinking past guards and across borders without suspicion or notice. Director Sound had once called her the Gentle Ghost, for her handling of the unusually angry locals during the Turkish pirate parley of 89, after which she escaped unnoticed with a chest of gold allegedly dating back to the Siege of Troy. Emily crossed the street and continued to walk north toward the drop point, a smaller pedestrian area beyond the Vatican City border within the greater borders of Rome. She'd spent all day seeing the sights on her own, and was glad to finally be on the brink of the handoff. Her contact was to arrive at sunset, and she hurried a little curious to find out what the artifact actually was.
That morning, she had been met by a man at the train station. Beneath the brim of his sun-faded red cap, his worry lines were deep and his air of humility was so palpable that Emily had to stop and examine him for signs of being actually indentured or enslaved. Seeing no such overt signals, she tipped her head at him. Buongiorno, signore, she said cheerfully. I am looking for my cousin. The older man raised his head from the newspaper he'd been blankly gazing at. His eyes were deep and tender, almost childlike. Signorina, the man murmured, his voice creaking as though it had not been used in some time. Yo sono tuo cugino. Ah, cousin, I am very happy to find you so well. Emily smiled neatly at him, her lips closed. She was used to treading lightly the line between gentlewoman of good breeding and socially conscientious visitor in a foreign land. Not everyone appreciates a stranger's smile. The man looked warily at her, then relaxed with a sigh. He'd been holding a great deal of tension in his neck and shoulders, Emily noted. He stood up and very carefully folded his newspaper. "'Thank you for coming.' "'Emma,' she stated. "'Emma Danvers.' "'Giuseppe Rosa.' he told her gruffly, as though afraid to raise his voice any louder than a bare murmur. "'Let us walk and talk, if you do not mind.' "'Of course,' Emily gestured. "'I am at your disposal, cousin.' She followed easily at his side as they walked through the train depot and out into the early sunlight. It was best to allow him to begin, the better to evaluate her own words and choices carefully. Emily did her best to put him at ease with her carefully relaxed body language as they walked down the street away from the station. At last... Giuseppe spoke. "'You've come to take it away, yes?' His voice was grim but hopeful. "'Well, that is the general idea. Mother is very keen that I should do so,' Emily answered. "'Good. Good. I will bring it to you.' The older man glanced over his shoulder anxiously again. "'May I offer a suggestion?' Emily pursed her lips, lowering her voice a little. Giuseppe's eyes widened, his mouth a lettuce wrinkle of worry. "'See?' She smiled. If you are checking to see whether you are being followed, it would be better to use various reflective surfaces in the area, such as windows or rear mirrors on carriages. Or if you must turn round, it might do to pretend to be pointing out architecture or other landmarks that I, an obvious tourist, may observe. The man's bushy brows met in the middle of his forehead. For example, Emily said, retrieving her guidebook from her satchel. She stopped and did an abrupt about-face as she brought the little book up to nose-level. "'What are those buildings there?' she asked, raising her voice slightly above her previous demure murmur. "'They are just buildings. Apartments and a grocery and a hotel,' replied her contact. Emily's eyes danced over the edge of the book, scanning the crowd for unusual persons or erratic movement. "'Such lovely windows they have,' Emily remarked, and turned back to him. She smiled as she closed the guidebook with a snap. "'All is well, signore. We are quite alone. Now!' She continued as they began to walk on. Do tell me what this is all about, and why you appear to have seen a ghost. The man gave a little moan of woe and shook his head. He cleared his throat several times. It is very difficult, signorina. Very difficult indeed to explain. Yes, but is it a ghost? I rather feel we ought to get that bit out of the way. It is complicated, pleaded Giuseppe. Just tell me what you know. Her contact was silent a while as they walked, making their way through a lovely park past elegant little fountains and shrubs alike. At last he tugged on the brim of his hat, gathering his composure.
what you will be retrieving has strange effects. The one who holds it is protected, shielded, defended even. But if the bearer means any ill and is not pure of intent, those who are nearby can suffer strangely. If you touch it, you are blessed. Your illnesses are healed, your affliction soothed. But if you are selfish with it, anyone nearby may find their own health forfeit, finding strange marks upon their bodies or lying awake for many sleepless nights. They are driven by the desire to serve whomever keeps the object, becoming enthralled to its possessor. Emily was scanning through her mind's library of symptoms and case histories. It sounded like a holy relic, all right. Or at the very least, some kind of cursed object. But it does heal, she asked. He nodded emphatically. It does. Carlo's leg, Maria's fever, the pox the poor people have. Is it applied directly, or does it simply need to be present to heal? Emily furrowed her brow. Her contact pulled the red cap from his head, wringing it in his hands like a wet rag. It must be in the hands of the bearer. The bearer then does the healing. What is it? Or what does it look like, at least? Giuseppe opened and closed his mouth several times helplessly, his expression contorting in frustration. She couldn't tell whether he didn't actually have the words for it, or if he was simply too frightened to say it aloud. Easy, easy, Emily said, putting out a hand to calm him. It's all right. Slowly, then. Is it made of metal? Glass? Stone? Wood, said her contact, his voice falling like an axe on a stump. His eyes welled with tears as he repeated more quietly. It's made of wood. That'll be the splinters Mother wrote me about, muttered Emily. The what? Never mind. Please continue. How big is it? Eh. Giuseppe glanced down at himself. As long as my forearm? He guessed, holding one arm up. Emily nodded. It should fit in my trunk without issue. Now, the note from Mother indicated that you would be handing it over shortly after my arrival, and that you said just a little while ago that you would bring it to me, suggesting that you don't have it with you. Is it so? He nodded, looking more tired by the moment. Yes, I... I couldn't. I couldn't bring it. I tried to, but I was watched. It's all right, Emily interrupted. You are at some considerable risk by bringing it to me, I gather. Best to try and get this over and done with. When can we make the exchange? He seemed a little like a fish out of water, but after a few moments of silent floundering, Giuseppe tightened his jaw. This evening? An hour after sunset. Emily arched a brow. Where shall we meet? Piazza del Risorgimento. Fine. After the exchange, I'll take it away, and you'll never deal with it again. Emily flicked open her guidebook for a map. Should put you at ease, yes? Signorina, Giuseppe hissed. His breath was hollow and ragged. Have a care. I beg you, do not be so careless with this. Emily glanced at him, surprised at the way his nervousness gave way to a suddenly ominous growl. I certainly shall not. I will be prompt and attentive, and the exchange shall go smoothly for the both of us, I assure you. I'll have it back in London, safe and sound, before you settle in with your first glass of wine tomorrow. He eyed her warily, so Emily lifted her chin a few more centimetres and straightened her spine. Signore... I assure you, I am a professional. This will be perfectly fine and done by the book. You have my word. Her contact stared at her, his dark gaze hollow with uncertainty. From somewhere nearby, 
A church bell rang out so loudly that the poor man jumped nearly out of his skin, and Emily again reached out to steady him. Good heavens, Emily thought. Whatever this thing is, he's definitely seen proof of what it can do, both for right and wrong. I had better warn Mother. Emily made her way across the road to the much quieter and much smaller Piazza del Risorgimento. A small newsstand nearby was occupied by a stooped gentleman and his friend engaged in a gesture-filled debate of some sort. A good chance it's concerning the pardon of those behind the fasci siciliani, she thought. Apparently some Italians were still divided on the matter. A handful of people sat around on benches or strolled through on their way to supper engagements. The jangling of a loud bell caught her ear. Emily turned to see the trolley on tracks trundle past the piazza swiftly, its red-paneled sides a blur. Overall, the Piazza del Risorgimento was a pocket of locals just beyond the walls of Vatican City. It was far too busy a location as Emily would have liked for a handoff, but her contacts seemed to be in danger of falling apart if you were sentenced to keep this artifact for another night. All's well that ends well, she thought wistfully. Soon I'll be back on a hyperstream heading north. She seated herself on a small bench beside several trees in the center of the oblong piazza. And this lovely little Roman holiday will come to an end, with another curious acquisition for the sordid files. She opened her guidebook and made a pretense of reading it quietly, using references within it in her gaze looking this way and that to peruse the surrounding area. No sign of her contact yet, nothing unusual appearing in the windows or doorways, with night all around her, the Vatican shone brightly as if a piece of heaven itself illuminated it for all of Italy to see. What it must be like to live right at the heart of the seat of the Catholic Church, Emily wondered, to grow up among these steeples and spires, to take their tolling bells and chanting cardinals for granted. The Church is certainly a strict mistress, but there must be something about it, or why would anyone really bother? Rosari! A sweet voice called. Emily noticed a girl no older than fifteen making her way through the little square, a basket looped over one arm. Her dark hair was loose about her shoulders, and a small boy with round cheeks followed along behind her. Rosari Benedetti da Papa! The others in the piazza ignored them, but the little boy locked eyes on Emily and stood still, tugging on the girl's skirt. She turned to look at Emily, a glimmer of hope in her eyes. Emily lowered her book a little with curious interest. Signorina! the girl offered, lifting the basket and choosing a rosary at random to display in her free hand. The beads were small and dark, a simple wooden cross dangling from the chain. Rosari Benedetti! Benedetti del Papa! Del Papa! echoed the boy helpfully. Really? Emily arched an eyebrow over her dark glasses. The Pope personally blessed all of them, did he? The boy looked uncertain, but the girl nodded. She understood English. She continued to dangle the rosary from her fingers. "'Si, signorina,' she said, then added in careful, broken English. "'The Pope. He blessed them.' "'And what do they do now that they are blessed?' Emily did not want to be rude, but genuinely a bit curious as to what precisely was being sold here. "'What for? Uh, per... per che cosa?' The boy furrowed his brow and looked up at the girl. His sister? Somewhat slack-jawed by the language barrier. The girl hunted for the right words, looking a little insulted. 
Per le vostre preghiere, signorina, she answered, as though it were obvious. For my prayers, hmm. Emily smiled wanly and picked up her book again. Then, no, thank you. Grazie. Sono veramente benedetti da papa, protested the boy, as though he could not believe that she didn't want one. He reached into the basket to rummage around. Emily shook her head. No, thank you, I won't be needing one. The girl looked insulted and furrowed her brow a little in concern. You... Inglesi? Or Americana? English, yes, Emily answered curtly. And thank you, no. The girl muttered something to the boy, speaking too quickly and too softly for Emily to translate for herself. Then she looked at Emily again uncertainly. You... you maybe want souvenir? Give us gift? Emily considered. She was prone to purchasing souvenirs, but she'd already bought her Occhiale de Sole. She shook her head firmly and stood up, closing her book. Very kind of you to offer children, but as I said, no. Now if you'll excuse me. She began to walk away in search of another place to keep an eye out for her contact's arrival. Signorina, the girl cried in exasperation, please to pay for our supper. The boy reached out and grabbed at her satchel. Emily stopped short and turned sharply with all the severity of a stern and icy governess. The boy's eyes were round and dark. Emily saw the fear of punishment flash through them, and he let go of the bag. No, grazie, she repeated firmly. Now run along, please. She fixed her stare on the girl, who immediately took her brother's hand. Emily watched the children scurry off to sell their beads elsewhere, and when they were heading down the street, she smoothed her skirts and sat down again. Emily was about to open her little book again when she caught a glimpse further down the road of a faded red hat and a dark jacket. She could not quite get a clear sight of him, watching carefully as vehicles passed him in the street, bustling by as though he were a mere shadow. As he grew gradually nearer, she was certain that it was her contact at last, seeing that he carried something under his arm wrapped in what looked like plain burlap. The artifact! Emily's stomach did a little jig of anticipation. Although none of the items she retrieved were ever things that she could keep for herself, she always enjoyed the handoff. It was her magpie sensibility. She loved souvenirs, loved bringing presents home to the ministry. It made her feel useful. With the anticipation bubbling within her as a kettle steeping a fine assam, Emily wondered again what this particular find would be. Dark as it was, her excitement made the world around her suddenly appear in amazing detail. Whatever he carried appeared the length of a forearm, as he'd estimated. It was thick. At a glance, he would have been carrying a small bundle of groceries or a parcel of some sort. Giuseppe Rosa's nerves from this morning seemed to have dissipated. Now he strode with a calm confidence through traffic, never faltering or even looking both ways for wagons and carriages. Well, that's odd, she thought. But perhaps it's a local practice that's common. She watched him closely as he neared the Piazza del Risorgimento. To wave or acknowledge him would be to betray herself to any other passerby and potentially draw further attention to the handoff about to take place. It was always best to watch and wait until just the right moment. Rosari! Rosari Benedetti! The peddler girl was making her way across the road again over the trolley tracks. Her younger brother tailed behind her at some distance, occupied with counting the cobblestones as he went. Emily watched him hop from stone to stone, uninterested in keeping up with his sister's pace. Then his foot slipped on the metal trolley rail, and he went down with a hard thump. The jangling of a harsh bell made Emily look left. Another trolley was coming down the tracks, half a block away and closing fast. She leapt to her feet, but found her feet rooted to the spot. 
She couldn't possibly reach the boy in time. It would be over before she had taken a single step. Emily could not reach the boy, but her contact could. As he did, two worlds changed in that moment. Giuseppe stepped onto the trolley tracks, and the trolley simply stopped. Not slowed, but stopped, switching states of inertia to stillness as a wave frozen in mid-curl. Emily watched as her contact shifted the object under his arm and reached down with his free hand to help the boy to his feet. Emily's chest tightened, a chill running down her arms and spine. What is happening? The child was scraped but not bloodied and appeared calm. He did not even notice the miraculously paused trolley before him. He thanked the man and ran off, embarrassed by his stumble. There wasn't even the hint of fear or amazement about him. Emily glanced around, but nobody else in the piazza was looking in that direction. No one had heard the trolley halt, and no one else seemed to be seeing what she was seeing. Time was literally stopping, seemingly under Giuseppe Rosa's command. Her contact stepped past the trolley over the tracks. He was barely two steps away when the trolley surged to life again, immediately driving on as though it had never so much as lost momentum. The man paused, turning to watch it go by, and when the trolley passed, a breeze flipped back the burlap cover for just a moment. Under the gas lamps of the piazza, Emily saw a knot within the wood, a deep hole within the weathered, faded wood. There was no varnish, no carvings, no jewels, no paint. It's just a piece of wood, she thought. What kind of artifact could disregard the laws of... The great bells at the basilica a few streets away began to ring. Emily's attention turned toward the Vatican, and something within her slipped into place, like cogs in a newly mended clock. Rome. Healing powers. Enthralling side effects. It couldn't. He passed under another lamp, and around the knot she could see a slight discoloration, a stain deep in the grain. My god, Emily realized. The cross. It's a piece of the cross. As the world reeled around her and Emily's stomach did somersaults, she was surprised to find her mind turning back to the ministry letter. Splinters, it had warned. That meant Director Sound knew. He knew he was sending her in to retrieve what may or may not be a piece of the true cross. And now Emily had just witnessed more of a miracle than she'd ever dreamed possible. Sound knew what it might be, and he'd given her no real warning or preparation. She could have researched. She could have brought backup or a partner. She could have... For heaven's sake, Emily thought, panicking as she remembered the fear and paranoia in her contact's eyes this morning. Where did he even find it? Are we pinching this from the Vatican right under the bloody noses? Time and the world around her had slowed to a molasses-like drip. Her hands felt clammy and cold despite the warm evening air. A shiver settled somewhere between her shoulder blades as she compelled her legs to work. This was happening. Now. A piece of the true cross. How could sound not have warned me what I was in for? The Pope! The Swiss Guard! Everyone and their dog is right bloody here, and here I am about to make a handoff and leave the country while smuggling a piece of wood upon which Jesus Christ himself was crucified? Through the thunder of her own heartbeat, Emily heard another chiming of the church bells, their song growing high-pitched and somewhat cheerful, and small. It now sounded more like the tintinabulation of a miniature cuckoo clock, not a majestic basilica bell. 
Something was off about the church's call. It sounded too close. Her breath caught in her throat as numbness swept over her. The bell song wasn't coming from the cathedral now, but from her own person. She frowned, dazedly looking down at the ring on her right hand, a simple silver piece with a dark green stone set into it. The gem was flickering with a tiny light, a faint tinkling chime echoing from within it. She stared at it a moment, trying to catch up to the message it was trying to communicate to her, her mind sluggish with astonishment. Emily's stomach plummeted. No, she whispered. No, no, no! Phantom Protocol The message from her ministry-issued ring could not be mistaken. Agent, drop what you're doing and run. Forget the mission, forget your belongings, go underground and wait. Wait until we tell you it's safe to come out. Emily sucked in a quick breath, covering the rings flickering with her free hand. But the cross! She looked up, guilt, fear, and doubt already writhing in her gut. It was so close! She had seen a miracle, and she could see Giuseppe crossing the piazza, barely a hundred paces away from where the exchange would take place. Or at least, it would have. But she had promised Giuseppe just a few hours ago. This would be done by the book. Cease all operations. Go underground. Phantom protocol. But the cross replied Emily's heart and mind in unison. It's no fraud, it's real. We saw it at work, we're so close. Sod the mission, a voice in her head snapped. The mission is over, the ministry has been compromised. Run. Emily felt something like vertigo for a few moments, dizzy where she was, unable to move. Giuseppe tipped his hat to her and smiled warmly as he extended the wrapped bundle in his arm towards her. This was her chance. Trust no one. Run. She ran. Agent Emily Cassidy Tuttle turned away from the Piazza del Risorgimento, and she could hear a desperate call of Signorina echo into the night as she widened her strides. Those strides became a full sprint as she hurried into the dark streets of Rome. She moved quickly, putting the mission and the seat of the Holy Catholic Church behind her without looking back. The world around her was nothing but a blur of storefronts and dining establishments. Emily didn't recall reaching the train station. Nor did she recall purchasing the ticket. Her destination went to the end of the line, somewhere in the countryside. It all happened, though, and Emily never faltered, not even when she took a seat in the second-class car of the last train of the evening. She read the same fraction of a newspaper over and over again the entire ride out of Rome, translating it into English in her head, then into French, and then back into Italian when she had calmed down enough. She couldn't stop replaying the scene in the street over and over again, in her mind. The trolley, the boy, the rosaries for sale, the man in the red hat, the burlap falling aside to reveal the piece of wood, and the haunted, desperate eyes of her contact that morning, as he'd struggled to convince her of the reality at hand. "'I'm sorry, Giuseppe,' she thought, imagining his possible spectrum of emotion when he realized she was not coming to retrieve the artifact from him. "'Betrayal?' Anger? Fear? Wherever he stole it from, he cannot take it back there now. I've doomed him to hide it, or worse, to destroy it, to keep it safe. 
the rocking of the train tempted her to sleep, to surrender its delightful, comforting cadence, but Emily's hand dug into her purse and the cool metal of a triple-barreled pistol snapped her awake. So many questions. Should she have taken the artifact with her before disappearing? What had happened at the Ministry? Was Phantom Protocol enabled because of this mission? The Vatican did not answer to the Italian government. They were a power of their own, and their spy network remained one of the oldest and most active in the world. Why did Giuseppe want to give the cross to the Ministry? She stepped off the train and onto a modest platform of a small, quaint village. This place was not part of her mission dossier. Emily was lost, alone, and nothing more than a nameless face in the Italian countryside. Her passport and particulars scattered somewhere along the line when she tore them up, cracked open the window, and tossed them out. Emily was now a ghost. It was well after midnight when she arrived at the small, simple church on the hill, but the few nuns who were still awake at that hour welcomed her in without a second thought. When they asked how long she might need to remain with them, Emily said only that she would stay until the spirit moved her. Originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Allison Grauer is a writer and actor, currently living, writing, and performing in Chicago, Illinois. Her writing can be found in Mechanized Masterpieces, a steampunk anthology, and on the Isle of Sound and Wonder, both by Zyler Publishing. She can be found acting in the web series Space Happens at spacehappens.com and blogging at her website, dreamstobecome.wordpress.com. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order The Diamond Conspiracy. Now available everywhere in your favorite bookstores and online in print, digital, and audio. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Ace Books production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.